This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture and Ford. Bird Culture and Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into the first edition of the BearCast in 2023, the first week of January. Hope you had a good holidays, but welcome back in a whole new year on the calendar, getting started the first BearCast of the year. I'm Craig Smoke, Sikkim365.com, 365 Sports. Joined, as always, by Grayson Grunhafer, Director of Broadcasting, also Team and Recruiting Reporter for Sikkim365. Got Garrett Ross producing behind the scenes, and a lot to talk about here on this episode, uh, the transfer portal, coaching changes, a lot to get into, but first things first, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Grayson. Hopefully you had some uh, good time off. Right, yeah, definitely needed it. It was a great time uh, Man. to have, yeah, to get <laughs> definitely past that season <laughs> and then, you know, just start the holidays with Baylor losing to uh, Air Force was great, um, but in general, it was nice, got to spend some time with family and uh, enjoy the new year, enjoy Christmas and get right back to it and right back in the swing of things and then you turn around and it's TCU's going to a national championship and Baylor basketball is getting smashed by Iowa State. I mean, it, it has been a uh, it's been a rough few months for Baylor athletics. Happy New Year. Yeah, yeah. no, it really has. And uh, we both took breaks and it, yeah, it was much needed. Um, I definitely, you know, was relieved kind of when that bowl game ended and uh, that was awful in its own right. Uh, feels like it was about two months ago now at this point and, and good riddance to that that end of the season um that was uh that was something else but yeah I mean onward and upward and on to a new year and uh new blank slate for Dave Aranda and the football program of which there's a lot of news going on as you mentioned uh, basketball also with a bit of news for both the men and women as well as they get underway into big 12 play women winning men losing so we'll talk about that a little bit but uh let's dive right in I mean we you mentioned uh that we didn't have an episode last week, so it's like one of the maybe two weeks out of the entire year where we don't have an episode. So there's a lot of ground to cover, and let's just dive right in when it comes to the transfer portal. And I guess just give we'll give like a little bit of a summary of who's in, who's out over the last couple of weeks, and then uh, as you want to sprinkle in some some extra flavor on uh, some of these guys. But uh, in terms of who we're looking at that has, I guess, exited, let's start there before we talk about the new additions. In terms of exits, we got a couple of new ones here recently. Uh, we knew, we talked about the fact uh, on signing day on the bonus show that we did, um, they needed some room to make some things happen in the transfer portal. They were pretty tight on numbers, that 85-man scholarship limit, Obviously, they had enough room to add a quarterback in Austin Novosad that went awry. So there was at least one spot, but we knew there was more, and still they needed more. And uh, there's now room for more, uh, as a couple of guys, as I mentioned, joined some of the other names that had floated out there over the past couple of weeks. So kind of starting backwards and moving our way up, uh, we knew that Devin Neal was in the transfer portal. He's already committed and signed with Louisville. Um you also had Micah Mazuka was in the transfer portal. He remains there. He has not uh, signed with anybody as of yet. Uh, also had uh, Josh Fleeks, who signed with Nebraska. We talked about that. Kyron Drones to Virginia Tech. Um, so, Neil Drones and Fleeks, all guys who have already ended up at their other destination. Micah Mazuka, somebody who, again, still has not made his call. But three new names now added to that list uh, that we have not discussed at all. 
and all in the secondary. Um, but I guess, really, that leads me to where we probably should start now that I think about it, and that's with who's going to be commanding the secondary and who's going to be commanding the defense total. So, yeah, now that I think about it, that's probably the biggest change that needs to be addressed because while we're away, Matthew Pallage brought back after a year as co-DC at Oregon, uh, back in the fall with the Bears, hired as the new defensive coordinator. Dave Aranda also making the move as far as inside linebackers coach, knowing that he needed to replace uh, Ron Roberts both as D.C. but also as linebackers coach. And so he goes to the SEC and grabs Christian Robinson, who was previously at Auburn and uh, then Florida before that for three seasons. Auburn this past year. Ironic because Ron Roberts goes to Auburn Mm -hmm. and in part's the reason why Christian Robinson is no longer at Auburn uh, because he's taking over duties there and obviously wants his own staff. So yeah, I think that's probably actually where we should start. Massey Powell is back in Waco, Grayson. Uh, He'll need to retool the secondary as we will get to. Three guys in the portal just this last week alone and Christian Robinson, a name not familiar to many, um, but now going to be commanding the uh, inside linebackers and last time we saw that group Dylan Doyle was in the postgame press conference and talking about the end of his Baylor career and he's a big piece you're gonna have to replace among others so Matthew Pallage your thoughts on just that move first coming back as DC and you know again his first time I guess at this level you know in particular full-blown defensive coordinator no co-title although we know Aranda will have some say here and there obviously right so this was actually a name that I mentioned. I do a chat every single week on the premium side of things, and he was one of the five names that I mentioned as far as he would make a lot of sense if he came back to Baylor. Because um, like you said, he was co-DC at Oregon, and so he probably wanted an opportunity to be the full-blown defense coordinator. There's an opportunity here to come back and coach the guys that he recruited uh, in the secondary at the safety position in particular. And so... I think it's pretty telling. I mean, he knows the talent level that's at the safety position. He recruited a lot of these guys. He got to see a lot of these guys develop here at Baylor. Um, And then also, I think it's just a perfect fit for the culture. He knows all the coaches. Um, He has a good relationship with them. He knows the players. I think this is one of those things where I go, wow, this is a great fit. And this is definitely Baylor getting back to uh, try to get back to where they were in 2021 defensively. He's also an underrated recruiter. And I don't think people necessarily know that, but he relates really, really well with the players and really well with the recruits. I think there's going to be a step up there uh, by adding him. And I also think the guys in the secondary, they really respect what Pallage brings to the table. Now, he's going to have to get to know everyone because he's the full-blown defense coordinator now. Um, But that safety position was one that needs a lot of work going into this season. And I think he's the perfect guy, honestly, to make that group uh, take a big jump going into the 2023 season. Uh, Now, as far as Robinson goes, I think this is another good pickup. SEC guy, pretty good recruiter, um, a guy who I think could come in and elevate that group as well. Now, I will say, on the field-wise, Roberts was a good coach. Roberts is a good coach. We know this. He he got a lot out of the linebackers, Trevor Bernard, Dylan Doyle. Uh, But I do think there was a part of him that maybe was not elite as far as developing some of the talent that they have there. Um, In particular, a Josh White type where um, you need to find a way to get him on the field at certain points in the season as we got to see, you know, the defense had issues with athleticism. So why is a guy like him or Tyrone Brown not getting on the field more or getting more opportunities to to thrive and grow? Um, So I'm wondering if developmentally Robinson can't take this group to another level and potentially get the most out of the talent that they do have in that room. 
Well, that'll be the hope, right? Yeah. Um, and I saw, you know, it's Twitter, so take that how you want. But I saw a mixed reaction from like a, you know, Auburn fan or a Florida fan on on Robinson. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, uh, blank slate coming into Waco. And, you know, let's see, you know, what he has and, and what he's got. But, uh, yeah, I'm intrigued to learn more about him. And what I mean by that is I saw like some Auburn fans who they're clearly like they're excited about their new coaches and, well, it didn't like the the linebacker play under him or Florida. I think it was mostly Auburn. And it's like, well, you had one year with the guy and it wasn't exactly a great year. So I don't know if that's the best, you know, basis to judge him as a, as a coach. And it was like a turmoil year. Yeah, that's what I mean. Coaching Brian Harson yeah, was basically I mean, halfway in, halfway out. So like that was the only sort of reaction I saw. And, and come to think of it, Florida fans, like I didn't really see much reaction to it because I think they had already moved past him. But he was there for three years, so... You know, curious to, to learn more about him, but obviously somewhat familiar with Pallage, and I think that familiarity, and you saw, like, even a Jalen Petrie retweeting the announcement, and so... They were posting quotes from, like, JT Woods, yeah. Jalen Petrie, just quotes about Pallage on the uh, official Baylor football uh, Twitter, so that was nice to see. I I think Pallage is the perfect guy to bring back. Th- this team needs to get more physical in the secondary. They need to just flat out get better there, and so why not bring in a guy that's clearly going to be focused on that? Um, and so I, I'm... I'm very curious. I think something that you will see more this past year, they played a lot of zone. I'm hoping that, you know, even if they do play some zone, that they play more man and are able to play more man if they're able to get better play out of their cornerbacks and their safeties. Um, I just could see a flip there because I think at times, if you go back and watch certain games this year, they would sit back in that zone, just get picked apart. I mean, Spencer Sanders for Oklahoma State, Walker Howard for Kansas State, um, even Max Duggan towards the end of that game, just picking them apart in the secondary. Um, I, I just think there, there's a lot of room for improvement, and I, I think Pallage is pretty much the perfect guy uh, to solve that problem. So they need, an, you know, an injection of some energy, some juice, some confidence. I mean, all the above and more, and uh, hopefully that is what is brought to the table with these two hires. But, yeah, that's a few days ago now at this point, but kind of wrapping our heads around what all we've we've been gone for. Again, it seems like it's been about a month, and it's been, you know, a week or so, but that did occur uh, while we were gone, so good to have that official. Obviously need some clarity on who's going to handle special teams. You know, Pallage, you would imagine, is going to have the safeties and be defensive coordinator, but, you know, wouldn't expect him to also handle special teams duties. He could have a hand in it, but just you'd, you'd anticipate somebody else having that title, so we'll see how that's you know, put out there eventually. Um, that's not the, the biggest deal. You just ultimately hope that they have more of the special teams they had two years ago when he was around. So right. come hell, hell or high water, you want him to have a hand in it and just hope they get back to that level of special teams play because that is the difference between winning six games and maybe winning like eight games. Mm-hmm. It really Definitely. is. Uh, so uh, that was obviously big news, but circling back around to kind of where we started before, thankfully I remembered that big chunk of, uh, of headlines. Uh, the room that he's going to be coaching. I mean, it's not the room that it was even a week ago uh, when he was being announced or even the week prior to that when they were getting ready for the bowl game. Uh, there's, you know, nearly a handful of guys that are no longer in that room just in the last couple of weeks. So kind of going back over the transfer situation and, and what that's turned into for the Bears. By my count, they've had eight guys enter the portal. Um, I mentioned Fleeks, Drones, and Neal have all landed at spots. One name I forgot in the first go-round, Seth Jones, mm-hmm. still has not decided. Micah Mazuka still has not decided. But then the three new additions over the last few days, all out of the secondary. 
Al Walcott, corner, um, also was you know kind of a versatile guy though. Also played at the uh, Star. Um, so it just kind of depend on what period you want to pick from over the last couple of years. But uh, Al Walcott, uh, corner for the for the group, obviously this past season. Uh, Mike Harris, safety, uh, and then Lorando Johnson, another corner. Uh, but another guy who kind of bounced depending on, you know, what month you want to pick over the last couple of years. You know, at one point it was a safety, you know, kind of looking at him here and there. But, uh, man, Lorando Johnson, Al Walcott, and Mike Harris. Uh, Harris, we never really got to know, um, quite frankly. So this one doesn't come as much of a surprise. But obviously people's eyes bulge a little bit when they look at, you know, starting type players and in, uh, in snacks and uh, also Walcott. Yeah, and I, I understand why people are – you know, kind of concerned. Uh, I got a lot of pushback on the board about, you know, saying that the Al Walcott move is a fine move. Like Baylor's going to be okay um, with losing him because they've already targeted guys in the portal who play star, who obviously Baylor feels are better than Al Walcott um, in my eyes. And so um, that's okay. You know, Al didn't have a very good year and that's just being honest. Like he had moments, but then he also, he had good moments and bad moments, but Baylor needs more consistent play out of that star position. We saw Jalen Petrie have this massive impact for them playing that role. They need someone who plays a bigger role and is a bigger part of their defense than what Al brought to the table this past year. I'm not saying you're going to have a Jalen Petrie every year, but you just need more consistent play uh, at that position. Al didn't give that to him, so now he's moving on into the portal. Uh, not necessarily one I totally expected but I definitely he was on my radar for sure as a guy who who might leave I um, thought he could be a guy that transferred right and I didn't want to see him go I understand he's got a big playmaking ability I also do know that it was very there were long gaps in between said plays you know what I mean like yes. we all think of the sugar bowl pick six yeah. but how many more do you add after that like maybe a couple of those plays this past year and he, quite he frankly big plays but but then you also looked up and it was like he was getting beat but you're also expecting yeah. that more mm -hmm. like you were expecting him to be even more disruptive just having come back and all of that and maybe that was unfair to him I don't know but yeah I mean I, I can see where you expected a little bit more but at the yeah. same time I can also see where people are like that's our best playmaker because yeah they didn't have a lot of playmakers right. quite frankly and he was one of their better and the ones star position gets put in great positions to make plays that's the other thing that I think people are underestimating here is that if you're a pretty good player you're going to make plays at the star it just is what it is. I mean, we saw that from Petrie. He was put in position to make a lot of plays. So uh, Al, you know, he had the cast on for half the year, felt bad for him. You know, it just was not the year that I think a lot of people thought um, he could have. So he's gone. Um, the other one, though, a little more surprising. Um, but if you kind of look at what happened with the bowl game for Lorando Johnson, where he did not play in that game, um, got sent home. And so, you know, you kind of thought about that and, I feel like that probably played a bigger role than I think people thought initially when uh, he was sent home from the bowl game. And so now, you know, he enters the portal. He was definitely more of a surprise for me because you saw moments this year where he played really well, played physical, was clearly their best cornerback. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean a ton, right? Like him being the best cornerback on a team that really had no good cornerbacks, at least no consistent cornerbacks, uh, isn't saying a ton. I do view him as a loss, though, because I did see some flashes of growth from him. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, if you're getting sent home, then there's obviously probably more to it um, than just that one incident. So I feel bad. Lorando, good player, a guy that had a lot of talent coming in, a four-star type guy. Um, but now Baylor's got to figure out a way to replace him as well. Yeah, you hate to see it, but... Um... 
yeah, not sure exactly what all went into that. And, you know, I had the same thought of whatever it was that got us sent home that, you know, probably can't be totally coincidental. So, uh, yeah, not sure on how all that unfolded just yet. I'm sure we'll get some insight on the board and, you know, some post at some point. But, um, yeah, that's unfortunate because I do feel like he had a lot of upside that was just um, never uncovered because he wasn't around long enough. And, um, obviously, his, his time cut shorter than we uh, when we expected it to be. So that was unfortunate. And I did see his, his tweet was kind of sad about, like, I never expected to do this, but I'm, yeah. you know, leaving Baylor or whatever. And, um, yeah, that's just uh, not fun. So a couple more names um, out of the secondary added to the transfer portal. And on the flip side, they've added four names. Um, you've got what that's eight guys that have left the roster dating all the way back to Josh Fleeks earlier in the season and now four newcomers over the last couple weeks. Now, nobody since really like bowl game day, uh, and that was the running back we'll talk about in just a moment. So that was about – it's been over a week since they've added anybody. Um, but they did, you know, have a couple ads right there uh, at round signing day period. Had a wide receiver, Keetron Jackson – the Barrington brothers on the O-line from BYU, and then uh, the running back I referenced, uh, Dominic Richardson from Oklahoma State, uh, added on the day of the Armed Forces Bowl. Uh, very unexpected, just, I don't know, I was like, Dominic Richardson, okay. But, hey, the, you know, the running back room definitely has some questions. Uh, it does look like Quaylen Jones will be coming back based on his tweet the, the other day, um, which, you know, as a junior wasn't entirely unexpected, but it does give you clarity on what that room's going to look like. So, um, squirrel, we don't know. Um, other attrition, we don't know. But you do look at Richard Reese, Quaylen Jones, and now you had Dominic Richardson, and um, you know we don't know about Tamek Williams. We don't know about Squirrel. We don't. So, but there's three guys right there that you can at least definitely start building something with. So, uh, your thoughts on that quartet of uh, transfers? Uh, from a couple weeks back. Yeah, and I mean, if you were on the premium side, you you knew this was coming. Dominic was a guy who took his visit um, and loved it, uh, his official visit at Baylor, and then pretty much signed immediately after that. Things were definitely trending in Baylor's direction there, and then obviously they were able to land him. So really good pickup. He fits kind of what they need, right? He's about 6'2", 205 pounds, is going to remind you a lot more of Abram Smith. Uh, Baylor played him this year. And he was just an annoying guy who literally would get hit in the backfield and still get three or four yards. And that happened so many times against Baylor. And he was having a really solid year until the wheels fell off at Oklahoma State. Once they lost Spencer Sanders and then that offense just completely fell off. And so I wouldn't look into his numbers this year as really being very telling. I think he's a very good running back and is going to provide a lot to that room is going to allow them to become a little bit more uh, reliably violent (laughs) on the offensive side, which is what they want in that RVO wide zone scheme. I think he fits perfectly. And again, like I said, more of a chain mover, more of an an Abram Smith, who if you create a crease, he'll make you pay for it. But if you don't create a crease, he's still going to get you three or four yards, which is very, very important uh, in this system. And like you said, the running back room is now really, really healthy right now in my eyes. I think they have enough depth there. They have some young talent as well. Um, And so now it's just a matter of figuring out our squirrel or Tay coming back. Um, And that will kind of give you kind of that final result of where they're going to be. And then you also have Bryson Washington and Dawson Pendergrass coming in. Yeah, so uh, good pick up there. Uh, the Barrington brothers, obviously, that's a couple questions answered on the O-line in terms of 
perhaps starters, but also just a depth in general in terms of what that room's going to look like. There's two more bodies, whereas you knew you were losing a handful of guys. Um, and so there will be more, obviously. It won't be just freshmen that they, you know, expect to come in and, and you know, uh, say, you know, save the rest of the room. They'll have to continue to obviously – you know, do what they can to, to build that thing up as best they can. But the Barrington brothers, that's a good start for and sure. And they're both old. That's yeah, huge. They're, they're, and they're older because of the two-year right. uh, mission trip. So I think Campbell's like 23 and then Clark's like 24, 25. So a lot of age there, a lot of experience there. And so I think Campbell's probably going to anchor their left tackle position this season. I, that seems like a natural fit after losing Connor Galvin. And then Clark, uh, he played guard at BYU. So I could definitely see that, um, him playing left guard this, this next season. But I could also see him maybe sneaking in and playing some center. Um, they need someone to replace Jacob Gall at center. I feel like they have more options at the guard positions because uh, currently it looks like Timothy Don would be their starter at center. Um, so that and that's kind of one of those things where you go, do you really want to start a redshirt freshman? Now, if he's elite, then maybe. And he's shown a lot of growth. Um, but I, I think that might be something to watch with Clark if he does decide to make that move there. If not, you know you're getting a very high-level guard, at least for this next season, because he only has one more year of eligibility remaining. All right, so there you go with a little bit of a roundup of the transfer portal. And uh, obviously, we, we went big on signing day, and there will be a second signing day coming up here in about a month's time. But uh, a lot of work's been done on the roster, uh, not only in Waco, but across the country, obviously. But, uh, yeah, they have not been uh, sitting on their hands by any means. Four new faces in, eight out at this point, and uh, there will be more on both sides, rest assured. So let's get into uh, the open visit window and, like, where we are in recruiting. So we got an open visit window coming up. Tell everybody what that means and then kind of reset where we are just in general, knowing what we just laid out there and kind of starting – the new year, where they currently are, um, moving forward, kind of what's in mind here. Right. So the open visit window is January 4th through 8th. It is pretty much exclusively for transfers to try to figure out where they're going to go. It also gives them an opportunity uh, after the dead period to take more official visits, figure out, again, the school that's right for them, and also allow them to enroll before the spring begins. Uh, that's really key. Uh, spring semester, I think, begins... Um, I want to say in about, I think they arrive on the 12th of January, and then I think school starts that Monday. I think that's typically how it works. Um, so again, you don't have a lot of time. You got nine days, so these guys are going to have to make a lot of decisions. Baylor's going to have a lot of guys on campus over the next week, um, well, really the next five days, to try to figure out you know, how they can add more depth to the roster before the spring semester begins. So January 17th, the first day 17th. of classes. Okay, yeah. yeah, so there you go. So I think move-in would be the 12th right before uh, that week. Um, yeah, residence halls open at 9 a.m. on January 12th. Yep. So there you go. That's that's move-in day, I believe. And so that's huge, right? That's a date to circle. But these next, you know, this next five-day period is going to be huge for Baylor to try to figure out how they can add talent to the roster. Adding two offense linemen, that's key. Adding a running back, that was something that became very clear they were trying to do early in the process. Of course, adding Keytron Jackson, massive as well at receiver, but still work left to do. Um, so they need to add a quarterback this week. That's going to happen. Uh, frankly, I would be think so beyond myself if that does not happen. Good, because I've been wondering what the heck the plans were no, there they, as we saw portal guy after portal guy after yeah. portal guy making their decision to where it's down to like, 
like three or four names that are just sitting there tinkering around the portal. Well, but also some games, some seasons just Sure, in. yeah, So there's no. going to be more additions to the right. portal for and sure. And then post-spring, there would be more as well, but yeah. Yeah, but there has to be at least one added for spring football. You can't go into spring with just Shapin and then you have, you know, walk-on quarterbacks that he's competing against. That's just, that's not really going to help elevate him. So I'm anticipating one to be added, at least one, maybe two to be added before spring football um, to give them at least three scholarship quarterbacks. But the only thing I can almost guarantee is that there will be one on campus for spring. Very important there. Uh, as far as some other positions, they got to address cornerback. Uh, they're going to need a star probably to replace Al Walcott unless they feel good about Alfonso Allen, which they do. Um, but I also think that they want to add more depth there and potentially allow Al Allen to move around a little bit um, in the safety room as well. They need to add a cornerback now. Uh, BYU cornerback Gabe Judy will be visiting this weekend. Um, he went to Vanderbilt, then he went to BYU. Their fans um, will lose it if they yeah. get another BYU guy. Another like BYU a... guy. Uh, he's close with Grant Miller as well because they were at Vanderbilt together. Um, so that could be an interesting one. He'll be visiting uh, Maryland linebacker uh, Ahmad McCullough. He's another fifth-year guy. He would play Will linebacker at Baylor. Um, essentially to replace, I mean, He'd be replacing Matt Jones, technically. Um, and then you'd have to figure out where Matt's going to move, whether that's Mike or Jack. Um, my anticipation is that he's probably going to move to Jack next season. I, I think he's better there. I think it's a better fit. I think we tried the experiment with him playing linebacker. Didn't work out. If he was going to play linebacker, I think it needed to be Mike. Um, but now I, I just feel like Josh White's going to be the Mike linebacker. And then they're going to add Ab Ahmad McCullough or a linebacker of that type to play the will. And then you'll have Tyrone Brown and Brooks Miller as the backups with potentially Matt Jones playing Jack. That's how I envision it. That's how I'm seeing it kind of be built in my head. Um, so he'll be visiting. He also has a trip to Washington State planned, but I feel pretty good about those two. I think Baylor's in a good spot. Some other ones to keep an eye on. Uh, Hillsdale College wide receiver Isaac Tesla. This guy's absolutely blown up in the last couple weeks. Baylor offered him early, but now he's got offers from Arkansas, Miami, Texas A&M, Wisconsin, Ole Miss, uh, Oklahoma State. Very good player, a D2 player. Uh, but he's 6'4", 210 pounds, runs a 4.54. His film is awesome. A great contested catch guy. Um, the rumors were he was going to visit this week. I still haven't confirmed with him that he's officially going to do that, but my expectation currently is that he will, so keep an eye on him. And then uh, North Texas tight end Jake Roberts, who actually had a very nice year this year. He's about 6'5", 250. He had 394 yards, three touchdowns. He's got offers from Arkansas, Cal, Nebraska, Tennessee, Indiana, SMU, all out of the portal. He's got two more years of eligibility, and I know people are going to sit there and tell me that you know, why are we going after a tight end? We should take 12 quarterbacks, and it just doesn't really work like that. And if you look at Baylor's depth chart, you're dealing with Drake Dabney, who's going to be coming back from injury. You still have a young Kelsey Johnson. You got young guys like Hawkins, Polly, Cody Mladinka, and Matthew Klopfenstein. Like, they really do, if you look at their depth chart in that breakdown, they need another tight end. Um, probably more of a proven commodity so that you can play Dabney 
and Kelsey Johnson and then one other tight end. Let the young guys who need more develop give them time to develop. Um, so that makes a lot of sense to me. He'll be visiting this weekend as well. Those are the names currently on my list. But again, I'm expecting a lot more. You're going to have quarterbacks visit. You're probably going to have a safety or two visit. Maybe another cornerback as well as Baylor really. They, they have a lot to do uh, before the end of this window. Um, so I'm expecting at least a couple more additions before the end of this week and hopefully going into spring ball. And then like you mentioned, after spring ball, they might look to add some more if they have some room um, to add maybe a couple more light pieces to the fold. So there you go. There's a, a bit of a roundup on where Baylor football is right now. Uh, out of the Barrington brothers, Keytron Jackson, Dominic Richardson, uh, right there around bowl week. Uh, saw Lorando Johnson, Mike Harris, and Al Walcott all head to the transfer portal. That was player six, seven, and eight by my counts. Um, and now this open window that uh, ends on January the 8th. And as we record this, it's January the 3rd. So that window opens tomorrow and uh, will be open for, you know, uh, less than a handful of days before shutting close. And, um, you know, then you got to kind of have to wait for another dead, it'll be a dead period. Yeah, yeah. Wait for another open window again. So, uh, very, you know, much about timing and, uh, doing what you can in a, in a certain amount of time. And, and they've been busy and, and we'll have to be even busier, you know, these next four days to close it out strong, but definitely a lot of plates up in the air for this staff right now. Yeah. And expect more attrition. By the way, there's going to be a little bit more as well. This is not the end of it. We knew there was going to be a lot. You just didn't want it to be painful attrition. And for the most part, it, it really hasn't been. And I expect that to continue to be the case. So yeah. just keep an eye on it and don't freak out every time Baylor loses someone <laughs> because they're going to lose more guys. But you got to think of it, oh, it opens up more room for them to go add guys as well. So uh, just keep an eye on that and keep that in mind going forward. Yeah, and that's part of college football today as well. It's, it's going to be weird to see, or interesting, I guess, to see how that eventually plays out with high school recruiting and the whole, like, you sign guys and then you yes or no them after like a year or two to make room for other guys who are a little bit older and like how much emphasis is placed on the transfer portal versus the high school ranks and all of that, you know, I think is still very much being sorted out. I thought, I think it was Sam Pittman of Arkansas that I saw commenting about this very thing um, a few days ago and just kind of the, the ever evolving nature of, of recruiting and kind of how the portal has taken over. Uh, and so I don't think we quite know where this is all going to land, but it's certainly, you know, a lot to digest. And for fans, you see, you know, eight guys going in the portal. You're like, what in the world's going on? Yeah. But like some of that's forced, some of that's wanted, some of that's, you know, of course, guys making decisions that you don't necessarily want. But, you know, a lot of that is, you know, what the staff's looking for. It's just a, a new kind of uh, – amount of turnover that we're just not used to seeing at this level. Yeah, it's not like losing 25 guys and like four of them are five-star guys from right. your previous class, like what happened at A&M yeah. or at Oklahoma State. Like this is And they clearly need to retool situation. after yeah. this past year. Definitely. So that's where we are. Um, and so be expecting some movement on the quarterback front and on various other fronts as well. Um, but that's pretty much where football stands. Uh, with new coach hirings, it's, it's been very busy, uh, very, very newsy uh, surrounding Dave Aranda and this staff. you got the All-American game going on this week. Obviously, we would talk more about that if the quarterback that uh, was you know scheduled to sign with Baylor had signed with Baylor, but instead... Uh, who do they? They don't. Yeah, have. I'll I'll be there because okay. there are two Baylor yeah, commits who will be in that game. There's the so. San Antonio Army All American game, yeah. and there's also the Under Armour game. To right. to be clear, and this is the San Antonio. Yes. Baylor doesn't have anyone in the Under Armour game, which is typically the case most of the time. You're getting a lot of the East Coast in the Under Armour game um, in California, uh, but in the All American game, there will still be two. 
uh, Isaiah Robinson, the four-star offense lineman out of Arlington Lamar. He'll be playing in the game. And then, of course, uh, Palmer Williams, their punter uh, out of North Carolina. He'll also be playing in the game. So I'm going to go down there Friday, probably check out a practice, and then I'll be at the game uh, on Saturday. Of course, I was planning on being there to see those two along with Austin Novosad, but um, it's just going to be those two, and that's perfectly fine. That's yeah. still a better turnout than most most of their classes have honestly ever had. So. Yeah, we'd obviously have a little bit more emphasis on it, though, if, uh, if sure. Novosad was part of the of the mix still. But, uh, yeah, that'll just, be good to see a couple of guys still down there representing the brand. I need to knock on some wood, though, because the last time I went to this game, uh, it did not go great for the Baylor commit. So okay, not, yeah. As Jalen Ellis got injured in uh, the game. Yes, well, and go so. get some sage and burn it and you <laughs> know, know. <laughs> put it around the Alamo Dome or whatever. Um, but, yeah, that'll be coming up as well as we get into that part of the of the calendar. Uh, so be on the lookout for a couple of bear signees down in San Antonio. Uh, now elsewhere, you had men's and women's basketball in action. Uh, women's basketball picking up their first Big 12 win after coming back from a 10-day break, beating TCU 64-42. to um, As Caitlin Bickle had a huge game for the Bears, and uh, one of their senior veteran you know, leaders uh, had 19 points, and so they're still hanging around there at the bottom of the top 25 and get their first Big 12 win. Uh, the men, meanwhile... Um, and by the way, on a little bit of a nice little run right now, I think still very much Garrett figuring themselves out, um, the, the Baylor women, but, uh, a nice win for them against the frogs. Would you say? Yeah, I would say that. I think that, um, there's still a lot of improvement. You obviously would like to get Asia Blackwell back and obviously Dre, um, if the NCAA ever decides to release yeah. her, I mean, come on already, but <laughs> still, uh, no, it was, it was a nice win. Um, the way the the conference is so deep this year. I think this mm-hmm. is probably the deepest on the women's side it's been uh, in quite some time. It was a nice win for them. Jamie Asbury played really well. Uh, she hit a couple of threes to kind of seal the, the victory for Baylor. But they're really going to need to click on all cylinders because Oklahoma is probably going to be their toughest test they've seen since Arizona or Maryland. Yeah, and they got Oklahoma uh, on Tuesday. So that's coming up later on tonight as we record this. A number 17 team in the country that'll be in Norman. And then number 21, Kansas, uh, on the road in Lawrence on Saturday. So two top 25 games on the road this week for Nikki Collin and company as they look to hang around in the top 25 and uh, get themselves wins two and three in Big 12 play. Yeah, and both of them are 11-1. and one. Um, So they're facing two pretty good teams. Um, so yeah, Baylor's going to be tested this week. They haven't been great. Great against ranked teams so far this year, so I'm very curious how they kind of handle this, especially going on the road, back-to-back road games. That's really, really tough, Um, but we'll see. We'll see how they can handle this and see if they can't pull at least one of them out. Yep, and so that's what's in store for uh, the Bears on the women's side of things. On the men's side of things, um, well... Uh, they did, you know, get a win over Nichols coming back from Christmas. That was that was fun. Um, but then they turned around and opened Big 12 play in a place where Scott Drew's really, like, taking ownership, uh, at least until last week. Uh, he had dominated uh, action in Hilton Coliseum over the last couple of years. Uh, but falling this time around, 77 to 62, get blown out by the Cyclones. And uh, just a lot of, I don't know, man, it's just a... Uh, how would you even describe this? So all the bad showed up at various points. Um, some of the good flashed, but not nearly enough. And this team's just sort of 
disjointed right now. I, I don't know if that's even the proper way to describe it, but I'm at a loss for how else to describe it. It just doesn't feel like it fits very well at the moment. Yeah, it, it's very confusing, to be honest. And it felt like if this game went another five more minutes, they probably would have lost by like 30 points. I mean, it just, it from the moment, they were up uh, 29 to 20 with five minutes left in the first half and then just got absolutely decimated the rest of the game. They couldn't guard at all. It, it was frankly... It was just so disappointing. I mean, you're watching Iowa State at times just drive right by Baylor defenders for layups, um, and and they it just seems like offensively they struggle so much to get the ball in the lane and then find open shooters. It, you know, not having reliable guys in the post has been an issue. Not getting reliable shooting efforts from you know guys like Jalen Bridges and Dale Bonner and Langston Love has been a problem. Um, and so right now you're basically seeing a bunch of one-on-one activity with Adam Flagler and Keontae George because LJ Cryer didn't play in this game. And it's really hard to win a lot of games when you're constantly running, you know, one-on-one action um, with these guys. And and it's going to be an issue going forward unless they can really, you know, figure things out. Um, But I will say this, you know, offensively, if they did have LJ Cryer, I think this game could have been a little bit different as in that 29-20 score could have been more like 35-20 just because of the way it was going. And maybe you pull away a little bit by having that extra scoring threat. Um, But defensively, it doesn't really matter. You know, defensively, LJ Cryer is not an elite defender. um, And Iowa State just kept scoring. I mean, unmercifully, they were just getting in the lane. They were getting everything they wanted. They were hitting threes, getting wide open shots. That can't continue to happen if Baylor wants to have success this year. Uh, It was a really disappointing effort and one that I know Scott Drew and company can't be happy with at all. They had an opportunity. They played a really good first 15 minutes of this game. And then they had another thing that happened against Virginia, happened against Marquette. They just gave up this massive run and could never overcome it. So a really tough loss for this team. And, you know, at this point, I think everyone's pretty much got to say they're just not quite as good as we initially expected. Yeah, um, so that's been a pattern uh, now. I guess looking at this 22-23 sports calendar, I mean, for the two big sports there in in football, obviously, and, and men's basketball, you really were hoping for more out of both. And obviously football did what it did. And you just hope with basketball they don't just kind of drag out the inevitable, kind of like football did, where it's just like every week you're waiting for that spark or that that light switch to flip, and it just never, ever did. And, you know, there were good performances here and there, but it's never – the train was never fully on the tracks, it felt like. It was always like half on, half off, and then it'd get on there for like a brief second, and then it would fall back off again. And so it's still early in the season, but conference play has started. So uh, they, you know, have a little bit of time to figure things out, and obviously the Big 12 is a very tough league, but, it, it you know – is there enough to figure out like you know or is this just kind of part of who they are and that's what you know obviously what's of concern is um you know just how much can they improve from what we've seen well if they want to win another big 12 championship they have to go 2-0 this week um because you can't lose home games they got two home games coming up against tcu and kansas state and it's fine if you go and lose on the road to iowa state a lot of teams are going to go to Iowa State and lose this year. It's going to happen. It, it absolutely is going to happen. Baylor's going to go on the road and lose another game uh, at least, maybe even more than that this season. But if you want to win a Big 12 championship, you got to take care of business at home. And so two home games coming up. Hopefully LJ Cryer is good to go for this TCU game, and hopefully they're able to come out with a uh, bounce-back performance. 
All right, so there, I think, is a rundown of pretty much everything that's going on and, uh, you know, discussion about pretty much everything that's going on. So that'll lead us into the mailbag, and, and we got a lot of questions uh, to get into. So, Alpha Needle, who are your top three color TV analysts play calling teams in college football? Um, I don't really pay that much attention, to be perfectly honest to you, on who's calling games. Like, I take note of it, but this is not, like, a thing that I get excited to and like into, you know what I mean? Where I'm like, Oh, I can name it. Like you're almost like naming regular teams. Um, definitely have certain voices that are my favorites over others. Uh, one group though, that comes to mind is, uh, Brock Heward and Jason Benetti. And, um, I think that they do a very good job. I think RG three does a tremendous job in his analysis. I'm not the biggest Mark Jones fan, but I do like RG three, uh, quite a bit. He's goofy, man. RG3. Yeah, he's, he's super goofy. good. Like, I don't always love him yeah. because there are times where I'm like, all right, just chill out a little bit, right. especially when he's with Mark Jones. Like, yeah. they almost get too goofy with each other sometimes, but I do think RG3 is very good at what he does. Uh, so I know it's not a team, like you said. He had that funny moment where he had to, he had to leave the game this weekend because yeah. his, uh, his daughter was being born, or daughter, right? think it was dark but either way his wife was pregnant so Mm -hmm. he had to leave so you see him sprint off the field so yeah that was really cool um you don't have you don't i i guess the question is teams i don't necessarily have a team but like you i have guys like i like kirk herb street i think that he's actually pretty good chris fowler uh, he's always been one of my favorites and then sean mcdonough i really like his voice as well yeah, I like Sean McDonough. I think uh, him and Blackledge and Molly McGrath yeah. do a good job together. I like Joe Tessitore. Um, you know, I think that he does a good job. Uh, but, yeah, I'm not necessarily like a fan of broadcast teams per se, but I guess the one that's probably, um, you know, obviously most notable is Fowler, Herbstreet, and Rowe. Mm-hmm. Um, they are kind of, you know, one of the gold standard teams, I guess, if you will. And I know there's a lot of Herb Street detractors. He's not always my favorite, but I enjoy Chris Fowler. I think uh, Holly does a really good job as well. So I yeah. think that they're up there. Gus Johnson's very hit or miss for me um, because sometimes I'm super into his excitement and sometimes I think it's so over the top that it sort of takes me out of how yeah. exciting it's supposed to be. Him and Joel are my favorite, I would say. They're, they're, my, they're yeah. the most enjoyable. And also I feel like... They are actually they do most of the games that I actually care about a lot of the times because mm-hmm. they do a lot of the Big Twelve. But yeah, those two for me are I think my favorite pair. I I'm not big into conspiracies, so most people have already tuned out by just hearing me say that. But uh, th- there is kind of you can see the Big Ten sprinkling already occurring on the yeah, Fox side of things, which is not surprising. But it's just it's just disappointing I guess but it was totally inevitable because of the investment that Fox has in the Big Ten but you can clearly already start to see like some of the the, push. the swaying and the push there which is is just notable but I mean there's dozens of others so um, yeah those are just uh, you know kind of a rundown of some of the the folks that stand out favorite moment in Baylor sports in 2022 I mean I guess the Sugar Bowl was in 2022, so yeah. that's my favorite moment. Yeah, me too. I mean, there wasn't a lot else yeah. since then. Uh, and th- I mean, there was some stuff last spring that was fun, but uh, yeah, that was definitely the best moment of 2022. And I know it's not probably exactly what you're asking, but that's the easiest answer. So mm-hmm. let's go with the Sugar Bowl. Uh, Scotty B, what grades did you give the hires of Pallage and Robinson for Baylor football? A-plus for Pallage. I just I don't know that they could have done a whole lot better than getting Pallage back. I, I think he's going to do a phenomenal job. I'll give Robinson a B. I, I think it's a good hire. I think there's a ceiling there, but I also, you know, there are still some question marks there, I think, for him. And I need to figure out how good of a recruiter he's going to be as well, which I don't really know quite yet. Yeah, I mean, he is 
kind of an unknown. I mean, we know a little bit about him, but like I was saying earlier with the Twitter stuff, like I don't know what's just fans talking. And there was nothing like even like media enough to really chew on other than like our linebackers have never been worse. Right. And then some are like, no, he did a good job in recruiting. And they're like, no, he didn't. And then, you know, it's like that thing. And I'm not going to sort through Auburn fans arguing on Twitter. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'd say kind of an incomplete, but a B, I guess, for starters is fine. And then with Matthew Pallage, I'd say definitely uh, an A for starters. Among the four transfers that Baylor football has signed right now, who do you think will contribute the most? Um, I... I think they're all going to – like, they were all big, if you really think about it. But, you know, I really think they needed some burst and an energy and just something new at the wide receiver position. So I'm going to go with Keytron Jackson. I, I think he's going to be phenomenal. Now, Clark and Campbell Barrington are absolute necessities. They're going to start. They're going to play a ton. Dominic Richardson will be a part of a committee and be a big part of that committee. Um, but I think Keytron Jackson could be and should be their number one wide receiver next year. And I'm anticipating him to have a breakout season and be huge for them. Surf Oso, Toads in the big game. TCU obviously playing for a national championship uh, against Georgia coming up next week. Is that really bad for Baylor in a way? Is it good? Is it really hurting us on the recruiting trail? What do BU insiders think? We always hear SEC, SEC, or Big Ten schools are tight, but does Alabama really want UGA to win, or are the other Big Ten teams happy Ohio State and Michigan are out? This is a good question because it is sort of like, um, it's not super complicated, but it kind of is in a way. Yeah. I think the SEC, that's just that's just such tribalism, and I, I don't think that they love it when Alabama's winning titles, oh. but they save face and spin it and spin it in a positive way for their school by like, well, we're in the same league as the champions and I that think kind of thing. The bad teams say that. Yeah, it's propaganda. Like, like Georgia doesn't want Bama to win. No. Bama doesn't want Georgia to win. But A and M, yeah, they'll take it because it's for the SEC. Right. Arkansas, woo, yeah, Vanderbilt, yeah, we're in the SEC. Yeah, of course they, of course the lower level teams are gonna be like, like this is perfect because they're never gonna win the SEC. Now I'm not saying they never ever will, but right now and in current history, they have not been winning the SEC compared to Bama and Georgia and even LSU. Like LSU is not sitting there cheering for Georgia. Like LSU never sat there and cheered for Bama. Like that doesn't happen. And so no, Baylor fans should not be cheering for TCU. I will also say, I think in the Big 12, every school in the Big 12 feels like they could win a Big 12 championship. Like, even Kansas is starting to feel that way. So, I think the parity makes it even more so where these schools in Big 12 are not cheering for TCU, nor should they. I don't think that, that that's smart. Now, as far as how could this be good? How do I spin this in a good direction? Well, the only way you can spin it in a positive is that, A, the Big 12 can actually compete on a national level, right? You know, this... This idea that the Big 12 is never going to win a championship, never going to get to a championship because they couldn't win college football playoff games. Oklahoma got there so many times and couldn't win one. Now TCU's finally done that. And so going into this new Big 12 era, it's nice that you actually see a team win a college football playoff game. So I understand that side of it. But for BU fans, for BU on the recruiting trail, no, this is not good for them. Yeah, and Surf Oso and BU Al kind of went back and forth and like clarifying the mm -hmm. the question. And so Al was saying, uh, "Are you asking if Alabama is impacted by and rooting for or against Georgia is the same as t the impact TCU has on the Baylor program?" And Surf Oso said, the "Real question is, does a successful." Big 12 team like TCU have a plus, plus or minus impact on BU. The press always mentions how strong the SEC or Big 10 and how that helps them recruit, blah, blah, blah. Um, 
it's propaganda it, to answer your question. The SEC stuff, it's propaganda. It's it's what Grayson outlined to answer your second question. And on the as far as the positive minus impact, it's positive for the Big Twelve. It's negative in every other regard. That's right. the simplest way I can and answer it. I don't think you can compare the two because here's the deal: How many championships has the SEC yeah, they won, won in the last? And how many different teams? Right. Auburn's won it. LSU's won it. Alabama's won it. Georgia's won it. It's so different yeah. than having a one-off yeah. like make it. So the SEC can generate this noise because it's like Florida's hey, we won literally it. have like five teams that have won national championships. The Big Twelve has one team that just made it to a national championship. We don't even know if they're going to win it. So right. it's just a totally different situation. This is not good for Baylor, for TCU to be at this <laughs> level. Think of it. I was talking to Garrett about this, but think about it this way. When Tech made it to a national championship in basketball, think about how much that helped their recruiting and how much that allowed them to uh, get new facilities. It allowed Chris Beard to go get a job at Texas. Like It did so much for them, just like Baylor in basketball, winning a national championship. Look at all the momentum they have. They're recruiting at an insane level. And I'm not saying that TCU is going to get to that level because football recruiting is different. But I will say when you're able to go into a kid's living room with his family and say, hey, look, we played for a national championship. This team has never played for a national championship. That's a big deal. Yeah. So, again, to just answer it as simply as possible, great for the Big 12, bad for Big 12 schools, horrible for Baylor. Uh, No, you don't want to see them win uh, because it doesn't – because the, the conference pride thing and the conference impact doesn't trump the negative impact of just the individual no. you know challenge like, of competing with TCU. There are not many one-off teams that win a national championship. Right. And so to get one is just, that would be insane, to be honest. Just like their run has been insane to be perfectly frank. Yeah, if the SEC was just Alabama winning 10 titles, <laughs> then you wouldn't hear all of the others trumpeting the way that they do. But the fact that LSU's won some and Georgia's won some and Florida's won some and yeah. Auburn's won some, I mean, they can all kind of say they've got a piece of the pie and it's spread out. It's not right. just one team it's dominating. Recent. It's recent. And it's sense. all within the last yeah. couple of decades. So thanks for the question. Bear in the big greenhouse. Uh, this might require some research or Grayson might know off the top of his head. When did all of TCU's key transfers get to campus this past year? Did they all in the early window or did some starting transfers arrive after spring curious how important it is the key signings be made by the end of this week yeah they had 13 transfers this year and i think um i think there were like 10 of them that were on campus for spring football um so i would say it's pretty important i mean that's a big chunk of that group and obviously they had a huge impact on the success they had this season um so yeah this week's very very important baylor needs to get a lot of guys on campus for the spring and remember tcu basically built their not their entire but the majority of their defense on guys from the transfer portal um so it's clearly paid huge dividends for them but yeah the majority were there in the spring but the majority of that offense was sitting there the last three four yep. years um and you saw him we saw darius davis and we saw uh well i mean hodges is on the defensive well, side we Heisman, saw max duggan their we saw Quentin finalist Johnston. was about to be sitting there the entire year too yeah but i mean <laughs> that's a very loaded veteran laden team yeah. not just from the portal but in on the offensive side a lot of guys and even defensive somewhat like when you think about travius uh, of guys who've been around for a yeah, while gary recruited well yeah i mean he absolutely did they just didn't have the swagger that they have now and they couldn't put all together on the offensive side like they have and yep. so yeah very impressive it's a combination of cause and uh just 
Garrett Riley and Sonny Dykes. And Joe Gillespie. I mean, and they Joe have Gillespie, just made, yeah, for they sure. made great hires, man. And, and it's been very impressive. And then the huge steps that, like, Quentin Johnston and Max Duggan and Kendra Miller all took. I mean, it, it's been crazy. And a lot to of see. luck, too. Yes. Um, a lot, the Baylor game, the Texas Tech game, well, and we could go on and on. So but. they're 6-1 and one in mm-hmm. one-score games. It's like Baylor last year. They're 9-1 and one in games within 10 points. It's yep. just insanity. Yep, they've been they've been on a good run. So we'll see where it takes them uh, next week against Georgia. That'll be very interesting. Obviously, again, it would be huge for the Big Twelve to have a non Oklahoma or Texas national champion, but uh, they would pretty clear in a way be like the face of the conference, which you don't necessarily want. And I still I I, I don't think realignment's really as as rabid as it was at one point in time, but that's the kind of thing you want a title. All of a sudden you have two titles in your history. You're Dallas Fort Worth. I mean you start to look like a pretty sexy brand to folks. I'm just yeah. saying, even if you're not the biggest school in the world, you're still a team in Texas mm-hmm. with a lot of upside. And so I would just be mindful of that. It's another reason why I don't think you want them winning amongst the multitude yeah. of reasons you don't want them winning on Monday, even if it's good headline for Brett Yormark for a little while. All right, Bearfish. Clearly seems to be a lot of negative energy surrounding the team right now. Bringing in new talent, being the number one priority. What are key things Dave Aranda should do to change the culture and reverse the negativity? Seems like it may take some outside-the-box moves to make this fun again for the guys, like switching uniforms. What are the key cultural What are the cultural keys to the offseason? And then Bearfish lays out um, the K-State loss, the TCU loss, the defense Falling apart against Texas. TCU makes the playoffs. Played a bowl game in Fort Worth. Novosad. Uh, coldest bowl game in history. Uh, the performance overall in the Armed Forces Bowl. And the secondary is all transferring. That's a lot to overcome for anyone much less 18 to 22-year-olds. Well, I can tell you one thing. Switching uniforms is not going to be a cultural key this offseason. Now, they might do that. They might bring in a new uniform or something like that. But that that's not going to be something that will change anything. I think... The biggest thing, honestly, is this staff just needs to make sure that everyone's on the same page because I think throughout the entire year, no one was on the same page, and that's something that Dave Randa has to fix. Um, I also think strength and conditioning this offseason, you're going to see a team that is much more focused, kind of like they were from 2020 to 2021. Um, Dave Randa mentioned that. He felt like there were a lot of guys and even, um, I don't even know if he said coaches, but he felt like the program in general was kind of just sitting there to the point where, hey, we just show up to the game and we're going to expect to win and we're going to win and just be able to move on to the next game. That didn't work out. So I think culturally it's really just going to be from within. Uh, these guys are going to have to figure out ways to get themselves motivated again and hopefully after a 6-7 and seven season that becomes rather easy. AF Blue 82, panic meter, scale of 1 to 10. I guess one's low. How do you feel about the following? Only having one Scully quarterback on the roster. I, I'm at a 1. because If you tell me at the end of the week, then I'm probably at like a 9. But I think if they have one for spring, then I'm at a 1. Uh, right now, since they don't have one, I guess I'd be at, an, at a 9. But uh, if they get somebody, I'd, yeah. I'd drop that, obviously. Having Walcott and Snacks hit the portal. 3. Uh, yeah, I'm like a... Right there in the middle, like four or five. Uh, placing all five starters on the O-line. Uh, I'm going to put this at a five because those guys, for some extent, underwhelmed at times this year. And I think they're young guys and the transfer portal guys should be able to come in and, and at least make them close to as good. So there's still some worry, but I do see the strides that they're making there. i say like a six because um, there are some... 
there are a lot of snaps that you're having to replace. I mean, you know, I get that there's other guys that come in and there's younger guys and all of that, and and some of the veterans they're bringing in with like the Barrington brothers. But I mean, overall, that was still a pretty good unit the last couple of years, and I don't feel like the fault of the offense was necessarily the O line. It was at times, but um, that's a it's a it's a group that's played a lot of football, so I'm a little bit worried about that. I just don't think you plug and play a lot of guys there. Um, at that position. Uh, hope, optimism, meter, scale of 1 to 10. It's also from AF Blue. Uh, 1 low, high is 10. How do you feel about the following? Shapin's growth in year 2 as a starter. I'm at a 6. I do think that there's... I think he's going to be better. And I think the receivers are going to be better. I, I Yeah, I'll put it at a 6. I have confidence that he can grow. Uh, I'll go like a 6 is fine. Uh, portal additions at running back and wide receiver. Uh, so far, probably an eight. I really like what they've done with Dom Richardson and Keytron Jackson. I think they're going to be huge. I think they'll probably add another receiver as well to make it even, you know, get it even up to a nine. Um, you know, a 10 would be getting a Jordan Addison and that's not going to happen. So what they have done though, getting quality guys, that's a great job. So I'll put it at an eight. I'll do like a seven there. I think it's a pretty good group and return of Pallage impact on defensive backs and special teams. It's got a lot of work to do. I mean, I, I think Pallage is an A-plus higher, but there's still a lot of holes. Like, they have a lot to figure out, so I'm going to put it at an 8 as well. You know, it's hard to really just turn that switch in one season, especially when you're replacing a lot of guys. Um, but I do have trust in him, so I'll put it at an 8. Yeah, an 8 sounds about right for me, too. So, uh, thank you, A.F. Blue. Marine Bear, how would you rate the results, impacts of Vic Valoria's strength and conditioning program with this team for 2022? The team seems to love his energy, and thankfully we did not experience a ton of major injuries. However, it seemed we lacked the strength advantage within several critical positions throughout the season. This always comes up whenever yeah. a team's not winning is the strength and conditioning. Like, this is an automatic, so I understand why we're getting it. Um, I, I think, I'll just say this for stars. I think... It's others getting better in that area as much as it is Baylor falling down. I mean, I think that Texas Tech and Joey McGuire are clearly going like the Matt Rule, toughest, hardest working, you know, the brand, all that kind of deal. They're they're more physical and tougher than they were a year ago. And Baylor bullied them. So, like, Right, you know I'm just mean? saying the teams around them right. got tougher. Kansas, much tougher, stronger team than they have been previously. TCU, clearly a K much – K-State. K-State, tougher, much stronger. I mean, like – the, the conference as a as a whole, not all teams, but the conference as a whole, I think, also got better around them. Um, so rather than necessarily going down, I think others raised up. But I do think they went down a little bit just in terms of um, having that advantage. Um, and you can't just always just you're going to outwork and you're automatically going to have that advantage. Like, again, others are going to rise their game up as well. So I think there's a little bit of both. I think they maybe slipped a little bit because they got fat and happy on success, which boggles my mind because it was one year. Yeah. Like, it was one freaking year. It wasn't like they were on a five-year run. It was one year. So I think there was some fat and happy. I also think others got better. Where do you fall on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think – Others got better, but I would also say I think it was more so just the desire, the determination, the um, effort. I just I don't feel like it was always there. And, I mean, to me, effort isn't something that Vic Valoria and strength and conditioning can get out of guys, you know, when the season starts. Once you're in the season, it's all about the players, you know, going out, executing, and having that maximum effort every single snap. Um, Vic Valoria and stuff, they just get the off season for the most part, and then the rest of the stuff is more just trying to maintain throughout the season. So, you know, I'm not sure that this team was weak, but I do think, 
I think they were honestly weaker mentally than they were physically. Oh, that's for sure. That's so, where they were definitely lacking. That's kind of where I lie. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I think physically they just – you can work as hard as you want to, but that doesn't ensure you're always going to be the strongest, you know? Yeah. Like, you can't – but I, I do think that other teams got stronger, got bigger, got more physical, and, and matched that or at least came closer to that. But, yeah, I definitely think on the mental side of it, that's where TCU for sure went right past, and that's where Tech – went right past them by the end of the year. I think that that's obviously a team that's playing with a lot of confidence, especially up top, And whereas Baylor had little to none. K-State um, just came in here and just yeah, no fear. Rocked, yeah. rocked their world. So, yeah, I, I do think a lot of it's mental. And, you know, Miranda's obviously a very mental guy. So, like, how does he approach that differently this next season? Because you can almost get too into that, into the weeds mentally, and then you're just lost. So um, that is that is something I think – you put it the best way, yeah. The mental side of conditioning is probably where they need to, to focus as much as anything else. Uh, Golden Green, hopefully that answers your question, Marine Bear. What in the world are we going to do about the secondary next year? Over, under, three and a half DBs taken from the portal. And we'll just start there. Um, so if we count the star, so I think they're going to take a star. They're going to take at least one corner, maybe two corners. Oh, that's a great number to put at, three and a half, honestly. Um, I'm going to go with under. I think they'll take two corners and one safety. That's, yeah, I'll go with that. All right. Uh, why didn't Reggie Bush play in four games this year if he's considered one of the best corners on the team? Seemed like fall camp notes indicated people close to the program expected him to contribute. I think this maybe is being blown out of proportion a little bit. I think Reggie Bush might be their best cornerback prospect on the roster. I really like what I've seen from him. Great athlete, explosive, um, has a great knowledge of the game, but he still needed a lot of growth technique-wise. Like, this was a guy who played running back in high school, as well as corner, as well as returning. Like, there was still a lot of growth for him in the technical department, and so I think that's kind of why they just decided to let him redshirt this year, give him time to grow, and so I'm expecting him next year to compete. We'll see how many cornerbacks they bring in, um, but he's a guy who's definitely on the rise and on my radar going into spring football, but sometimes young guys, it, it takes a little bit longer for them to figure it all out. All right, and uh, that was the final question of the mailbag this week, so thanks, Golden Green, for wrapping us up there. A lot of ground covered, a lot of moves being made, especially on the football side of things, and basketball is obviously in in full swing as well. Uh, Anything before we go here, Grayson? No, I mean, just hoping for a a better week for men's basketball for sure, and very excited for uh, the transfer portal coming up this period this next week. So if you're not a premium subscriber, I suggest you join. We're going to have a lot of news and notes going through uh, these visits uh, throughout the week. It's a very exciting time, a very crucial time uh, for Baylor football as well. Yes, it is. So uh, definitely big thanks to the folks uh, behind the scenes and Garrett Ross for uh, working the boards and uh, helping get things done here uh, with the Bearcast and the first one in the books now for 2023. Definitely appreciate those who've been on the ride for uh, a while with us and hopefully uh, spread the word, tell some friends, tell some family members, keep growing this thing. And, and obviously a very big and uncertain year ahead of us. Uh, 2022 started with a sugar bowl and then we had no idea what was in store and it kind of in some ways turned out the way we thought and in some ways definitely did not and and we'll see what uh, 2023 has uh, now in store for us as well but a lot of retooling and reworking being done so definitely head on over to the premium section got signing day number two in about a month transfer portal window here over the next few days uh, coaching hires 
uh, a lot going on. So, uh, yeah, definitely check out the Sikkim 365 premium side if you haven't already. But uh, for Garrett uh, Ross, for Grayson Grunhafer, uh, and for myself, Craig Smoke, we'll talk to you next week. Appreciate you. This has been the BearCast on Sikkim365.com.